Along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 18th of November. I'm your host, Lucy Zelich, and I'll tell you what, baby, it's good to be back after a week off. I've refreshed myself. I'm feeling energised again for what is going to be a massive show, and we're so delighted to welcome back a great friend of ours here at the World Game, the legendary defender at Western Sydney Wanderers, Daniel Georgievsky. Danny, welcome back to you, lad. Thank you. I'm legendary already. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, you are legendary in our estimations. Come on, every time we've had you on the show, every time we've spoken to you, you've been just epic. And the fans were looking so forward to having you on. Um, it's been great engagement already, and we'll throw some questions your way later on as the show goes on. But uh, my wonderful colleague also joining us from SBS HQ, Nick Stoll, a.k.a. Stollage. Great to see you, son. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to talk to Danny. I'm very excited to talk to Scott McDonald, who we've got later on in the show, and John Durden talking about ACL as well. So big, big show today. Yeah, massive show and a massive night in the Asian Champions League. Of course, uh, A-League side Perth Glory in action against Shanghai Shenhua, Sydney FC in action tomorrow, 9pm Eastern Daylight Time, those matches coming to you. And we'll cover those off later on. But, Danny, we have to ask you, how have you been, my friend? It's been such a crazy old year. I mean, when we caught up, it was pre-pandemic. Everything was normal. But so much has changed. Um, how has this period treated you? Um, like everyone else, what they would say, it's just been absolutely crazy. Um, we've, I've had two pre-seasons in one year, which is kind of crap, <laughs> kind of way. It's, um, when you have two months off, you're usually going on a holiday, but then you can't leave the house. So you end up just doing whatever, just to waste time. Then you come back for a, to finish off the season, which, you know, everyone, it was a lot of arguments with finances and all that stuff. And it kind of veered away from the game that we love so much. And now that we've had to come back just to finish off five games, and then the finals, which we didn't make. But, yeah, it's just been absolutely crazy. And, you know, we're kind of looking forward to kind of having some sort of normality in football, which, you know, we start in end of December, which is our peak time, but everyone will be on holidays. So, yeah, it's been uh, interesting, to say the least, in 2020. It's been an interesting period overall for the Wanderers. I mean, it's been no secret, of course, that it's been a difficult few years for them. But um, just give us some insight into sort of how this has all played out because we saw how things ended with Marcus Babel. Then you've had a series of other coaches come in and it just it, it seems like it hasn't worked since then. Um, JP, we're all shocked to see him leave in the fashion that he did. Now Carl Robinson's come on board. Um, from your perspective, how has that sort of upheaval affected you and, and, and the whole team? Team overall, I think when um, when Babel got fired, we already knew JP, so we knew what we knew what he wanted, and that kind of made it not so hard to get into a different group. And we started doing quite well until the pandemic hit, and we had to stop in March. And then we had to come back. We kind of already knew, like I said, we knew JP, and nothing had really changed. And unfortunately, we didn't make the finals. And then obviously going back into another you know, off-season type of feel. And then all these financial Zoom chats that we had with the PFA, with the FFA, with bloody, I don't know what, I'm turning into an IT whiz with all these bloody Zoom chats half the time. And <laughs> it's frustrating because you, you're on holiday, but you're just stressing about, you know, you're getting your own pay, like trying to get to some sort of normality. And then finally that had finished and we were just about to start. And I had just spoken to JP as well, which we didn't speak for a while because there was no football. It was just purely financial decisions had to be made with the players and all that stuff. And then you're about to come on in to do a medical test, which we're all crapping our pants about because we're all a bit overweight and two months <laughs> off. Not doing anything. I know me personally. And then you come on in and 
you find out through Instagram that your coach has been sacked and I called him straight away and he was heading to the golf course. So <laughs> it's just been absolutely crazy. That's why it's been, when you look back at it, when I look back at it now, it's funny, but mm -hmm. at the time I was just absolutely gobsmacked half the time and just said, you know what, well, I don't know what's happening. I'll just go in and do my job. And since the new gaffer has come in, it's been his, you know, even for him, he said, I was preparing for a pre-season with Newcastle Jets and this just popped up and you know, come on in, coming in already knowing kind of a little bit of him because you only came in January as well. And yeah, it's been interesting, but we've had a month together and, you know, finding, <clears throat> we've, we're finding out about each other and how the team should mold and what he wants to do and his philosophies. So I guess we'll see if it all works out, but um, right now it feels like it's heading into the right direction after all these complications. We'll drill down more into how things have been going with the Wanderers under Carl Robertson since he's come on board, the philosophy that he's trying to instill and, and what you're hoping to achieve for the next season. But I've already seen some comments coming in and this has sparked our, you know, our predominant topic of conversation with you, which is why we really wanted to speak with you this week. Santino Mamone, one of our regular fans here on the World Game Live. Welcome to you, my friend. It's great to have your company here once again. Daniel Drojewski, King of Macedonia. And we have to say that he's absolutely bang on because what a week it's been for North Macedonia. Macedonia, if we're going to be politically correct and go down that path, they are referred to as North Macedonia now. I'm sure most Macedonians would agree that they're happy to just be referred to as Macedonia. But at this point now, it's been such an exciting time for you guys because now you've qualified for your first major tournament. Um, this is huge news. And we have to know from you, Danny, what was your reaction and what were the feelings like back home with your relatives and the scenes that, um, that erupted over there? It's been epic. Yeah, well, in Macedonia, the pandemic is hit quite hard so everyone it's been actually worse in australia like much worse so everyone's mind is on that and then i think football as a whole just kind of get, makes you forget about it mm -hmm. and i think that's the power of football and the fact that they have reached this opportunity and i received a few messages from media out in macedonia and obviously i've been out of the limelight for the past five years but i always wake up and watch the games i'm not i won't advertise that i watch them or whatever like that i just do it because I played with these players. I was, it was only five years ago. There were a few that still play there and you know, are still in the starting 11 and all that. And for me, it's, it's an honor that they've been able to get to this, get this far. You know, when I was playing for them with the World Cup qualifiers and Euro qualifiers, we had no chance whatsoever. When you're playing the likes of Belgium and Italy and all those strong teams, Croatia, Serbia, your chances are slim to none. I would even say just none. You, you just will never make it. And now the way that this has changed with the whole philosophy of trying to get teams like Macedonia, countries like Macedonia, sorry, to qualify to a major tournament. And Macedonia has obviously shined. And for them to make it, it's regardless if they call me up or not, which I probably won't, I'm just happy to, I'm happy to be a Macedonian, be part of a team that did you know, get to where they are. And it has been five years. When I left, the new coach came in with his, this was just the intern coach for the time being and Igor came on in and he's just transformed the, the country and the, the football in the country. So hats off to them. I'm very, very excited from this side of the world. And yeah, it's been, um, it's been amazing. Sleepless nights because the time difference, it's been really, really good. Stolich, what do you reckon? We've got to start up a campaign to start rallying now to get Danny back into the national team. Oh, 100%. We'll, we'll be putting up your highlights, sending him to Macedonia, being like, Georgievsky, man of the match once again. We'll, we'll, we'll propaganda full for you. 
if you saw my highlights on how to when I got to Australia in two, when I got to Macedonia sorry in two thousand and five, where you still had the date and the time in the bottom left hand corner. <laughs> No, don't, don't show them any more highlights. I'll probably be disgusted. <laughs> uh, well, listen, we gotta we gotta ask you how you celebrated. But before we do, I want to roll a clip of how they were celebrating in Macedonia. Let's take a look. This is the scenes from Macedonia just after they qualified. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's unreal. No COVID over there at the moment. I think I saw a few police officers <laughs> partying with the guys. <laughs> I don't blame them. It's something like this. We're, we're a country that don't really get into any world stages, not even to world political topics. They're definitely not there. And for something for such a small country that has so much rich history, to not be able to be a part of any big stage for this as a country is just massive. And mm -hmm. like I said, I'm, I'm ecstatic regardless if I'm there or not. I'm, I'm just a fan at the end of the day that played once upon a time. So I'm, I'm just happy for him. Very, very happy, mm -hmm. especially for someone like Goran Pandev, which is our probably all-time best player you know, ever. And for him to be retiring next year, it's just the best send-off. It's, like it's like our version of Zinedine Zidane. And, of course, 37 years of age as well. I mean, he's, he's been such a massive contributor to this Macedonia side. But tell us about him. Tell us what you know about him and what your experience was like with him. Well, his agent, his brother's agent was my agent when I got to Croatia. So we always, I didn't I didn't know anything of him, obviously. I just knew his brother, Sashko, and we were in Dinamo Zagreb together. And I did meet him after, when he was in Lazio. I met him at the end of the year. They came with a few mates and his brother wasn't there, but I was. And they stayed in the apartment. And he was just a genuinely nice guy. And I was a 19-year-old just trying to make it in football. And he was just a genuine nice guy. He was killing it in last year's school, I think, 20 goals that year. But just his, just something so small of, that I will never forget. We're talking about tattoos. And he asked if I ever had it. I go, no, nah, man, my dad would kill me if I had a tattoo. And he goes, yeah, me too. Mind you, this guy's playing in Serie A and in Latvia. And just the humbleness that he distilled then, I just went, well, wow, like, what a bloke. And then when I did have the opportunity to play for Macedonia a few years after, he was still the same genuine, no tattooed type of guy. <laughs> My dad would still bash me to today. <laughs> Something like that, you don't. it's very rare to hear, especially when you're a player that won the Champions League and is with the best players in the world and playing with them and one of them. And to just be so humble was just something that, you know, I was honoured to be able to be on the same pitch, same team sheet as him, let alone to, you know, be calling a teammate at the time. Seven tattoos later, my old man still doesn't know I have a single one, right? So, Danny, I can feel your pain and your stress around that. Stolich, some questions for the great man while we've got him. Yeah, Danny, I wanted to ask with, with Pandev, I mean, there were rumours that he was kind of linked to a few Australian teams and they wanted to bring him out of a marquee. I even saw one report that said he was signed but the FA blocked him. Did you know anything about that? Did you know if he was close? Did he ever get in touch with you about what Australia was like? And, you know, w would he have been a really good marquee signing for an A-League side? No, I remember when I was in Romania, the owner, because I was playing well, he goes, "What? who's the best? I remember the general manager came to me and he goes, who's the best Macedonian player? And he said, Goran Pandev. And I was like, let's bring him here. And the general manager's like, you want to be able to afford him. He's 
you got there. You know, it's, it's a lot, you know. Yeah. And that was the only time I ever heard. And I just knew, even when he moved to Galatasaray in Turkey, that's probably the furthest he would move other than Macedonia or Italy. And Italy, he was there as an 18-year-old. So I did hear something, I think it was in Melbourne Victory, and I just said straight away, he would never come to Australia regardless. Like, he's he's more Italian than he is Macedonian because he's been mm. there for 20 years. And he's literally like what I had heard in Rome, that he's not to the level, but just one step under Totti when he walked in the streets of Rome. That's how much they love and appreciate. And that's Rome for fans of um, AC Roma. That's how big he is. Um, AS Roma, sorry. So he, why would you want to leave that when you're, you're like a god in Italy? And that's big coming from a guy that's just from a small city in Macedonia. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, didn't hear anything. Even if I, I did hear it, but no chance. It was... He wouldn't even come on holidays. It's too far for him. <laughs> <laughs> the creatures of habit, right? Creatures of habit. Especially when you're in Europe, I think you'd be feeling like what else is better um, than what we're experiencing right now. But um, the expectations of the Macedonians, you being Macedonian yourself from having spoken to family, etc. I mean, to be in this situation where you've qualified for a tournament of this magnitude is already huge. But are you just happy to be there, Danny? Or is this something where you're expecting good things? Look, you have to. You can say you try to expect to be in every that, that was every qualifier that we had when I was there was trying to be second or first. It's a normal expectation, even every year when you come into a club or you stay here, you're always trying to win the championship, trying to get to a qualifier. So that's always number one. But the realistic approach of it is where we're trying to hit. And now that they've qualified for a big tournament, it'll be definitely something that I'll say we want to go every year and every year, every year. But you have to start somewhere. So now that they haven't qualified, hopefully, you know, you're playing against the best countries in the world, like in Europe, and players that are playing in the leagues in the world. So just being on the same page with them in one tournament, I think that would just have life lessons and massive career changes for a lot of players. And hopefully with that, Macedonian players will get more game time in their clubs or transfers and all that. And that, you know, would put them on a different pedigree. And hopefully from that strengthens the, the, the country, the team. So let's go over to you before we move on from the Euros. Well, I I was just actually going to move on for the Euros, and I just wanted to ask with Carl Robinson coming in at the Wanderers, I think there's a lot of excitement uh, with Wanderers fans. It's been a while since you guys have made the finals. What does he bring this year that you didn't have in previous years? Well, from last year, it was kind of hard to – the start of last season was great. Obviously, we won the first three games, and then he kind of just went the way that he went. He kind of – went downhill and then when you change your coach halfway during the season you're not expecting a hell of a lot and then we were heading in the right direction with um jp we had i don't know we won more games than we had drawn or lost or anything like that and then the pandemic hit and then trying to redo all that but regardless of the past i think when carl came in he just said carl calling the gaffer sorry gaffer just said look the past was the past i i'm learning what had happened what were the mistakes what were the the things that I have to come and fix. But at the same time, he's just like, I'm a different type of coach and I have to distill what I think is the right way. And he'd done it in Newcastle with the players that they had with Ernie Merrick and they were pretty much undefeated. So if he can do that here with the players that we have and players that he's bringing in, and even the youth boys, like we have a lot of young boys. I actually feel like a grandfather in the changes sometimes. <laughs> and even he says, he goes, yeah, you have to, They've reached their level. They run a lot. You have to run just as much. So he's on my case every day. And 
with that, I think he does bring something different to the Wanderers. And like I said, if they've got him a right, they've, they've got a right. And hopefully next year, with regards to fans and all this stuff that, you know, is kind of affecting a lot of teams and finances and all that, I hope that he, as a coach and his philosophy, like I said before, works for us and you know we do reach a final which the wondrous fans are smashing us every 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 chance they could get because they have every right to because we haven't performed last year and let alone the year before i was here it has been a difficult spell for the Wanderers, particularly over the last three years. I think this is a club after having reached such amazing heights, particularly within Asia, being crowned the, the kings of Asia. I think we've always expected a lot from this side. But um, what can you kind of say to the fans, Danny, that, that you know have, have, have felt a bit heartbroken about the way that things have played out, about this upcoming season and, and why you feel as though things will be different and why it's the Wanderers' time to get back into the frame again? Um, be a bit patient with us, I guess. Um, last year we had the training facility fixed and that was just massive in all media. Like it was just ma everywhere. That's what the main topic of discussion was. And then Bankwest, one of the best stadiums in Australia, all those things kind of like veered away from us performing. And yeah, the first three games we performed, but the consistency was something that we lacked and that showed at the end of the day. We, if you look at the table for each week, we were just going down and further and further down and nothing had really changed. And those things kind of distracted everybody from the performances and that was an excuse. And those excuses were, that was last year. Well, last year and this year, that's it. Now we can't really rely on that or we actually copped it. To be really honest, we copped it a lot more because of those facilities saying you have everything there for you and you guys still can't win. So. That kind of made it harder a little bit and regardless of that we are professionals we have to do our job which some will call a job i call it a passion and if we can move forward with carl with the cup with the gaffer sorry and yeah i'm gonna just say the generic answers to those questions <laughs> we want to win but i do firmly believe i firmly believe that last year and i firmly believe it again this year and i think it will happen and the fans might quote me and smash me later on but look i'll give it my my all every player in our team will give it their all and hopefully combine together and we'll have a good run and win the bloody thing win the yeah, that'd be nice that'd be nice to see the wanderers back up there again um we had carl on our show a few weeks ago actually he spoke uh, really well um seems like a fantastic guy very passionate guy uh and someone that's really committed to turning the fortunes of the club around a few questions that we've got to get through because we've had a, a string of them coming through and i'll address the ones that we had pre-show for you as well ari brisbane one of our regular viewers here on the world game live great to have your company ari he wants to know danny be honest how did you rate marcus babble <laughs> is that the answer i reckon I, that's the answer. i personally when i first met him top bloke i was i wouldn't say starstruck but he played for liverpool he played for Bayern Munich. it's a career any player would have wanted but player and a coach are very different and I've, i always say with a coach well being a player when the going gets tough you rely on them and you see how they react and for me, I was quite shocked that he was very, very calm in all the situations and I think maybe a little bit too calm. And I think that's the end of the day. That's, you know, I can't really say too much because he got sacked. So 
whatever I would say, the ending, we know the conclusion to it, you know. But personally, it was a nice, it was a top bloke. Can't really say, question that at all. But I guess when the going got tough, nothing really helped. So he probably took a strategy that other coaches wouldn't, and it didn't work out for him. But if he did, he'll be considered world-class coach. And that's yeah. pretty much it to sh shut that question down. Yeah, you shut it down. I shut it down without even answering it. The smile said it all, you smart ass. Musi Alongo. Musi Alongo has written in, what does a successful season look like for Western Sydney Wanderers this upcoming season? Thanks for your question, Musi. Great to have your company, mate. What does a successful season look like? Um, winning, I think, um, regardless of that, we have to perform. The gaffer is very strong right now with performances because with good performances you'll just consistently repeat that and repetition repetition and it is quite annoying because it's a lot of repetition double sessions and it's a lot of work but i got like i said it's our job um if we string along good performances we'll end up winning and that's probably the best formula for success and if not we won't be playing that's pretty much what the gap said you know, you don't do what i say you won't play, regardless of who you are. And I think he did that with Newcastle Jets, and he's going to do it with us here. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, Danny, last year, even though it was a tough year, I thought Mitchell Duke uh, had a fantastic year and was scoring lots of goals. He's now departed the club. How do you replace him in terms of the amount of goals he brought to your team? Mm -hmm. And I think also he was a, quite a close mate of yours as well. Look, he, he brought a lot to the table when he came to banter. Um, we were... <laughs> Smashing quadrant. <laughs> he, was great. he was great with that. But to answer your question about the goals, I couldn't really help because I haven't bloody scored a goal in a few years. So. Oh, you scored a penalty on the weekend, though? Yeah, of course. Penalties. <laughs> I mean, you got to listen. If we're going to get you to the Macedonian <laughs> national team, we need to pump you up every goal. Why do you score more penalties then? I think anyone can score a penalty. But um, I think with that, the way the coach, way the gaffer wants to. Play, there will be a lot of chances. So hopefully it won't be just one player. Hopefully there'll be more players scoring six, seven, eight goals. And that's also Sydney FC did it last year. I know when I was in Newcastle, there was three players over 10 goals. And that in itself means that there's more players in the box, more players scoring goals. So if we get two or three players scoring more goals and every player scoring at least one or two, that in itself, yeah, you score, you can concede, but as long as you score more, that's the thing that's the Real Madrid philosophy. But Gaffer does want us to concede goals and wants us to score a lot of goals. So someone like Mitch, he had a great career, did his transfer, but someone will fill his boots in and hopefully, you know, he's, if someone else makes a transfer after it or stays with us, whatever it is, it'll be yeah. um, interesting to see who that person is or who those people, players are. Can we talk about the A-League overall? Because, I mean, it's been such a, a worrying period for the game in general, right? Uh, we're also nervous with the prospect of Fox potentially. Well, could you already laughing. We're also nervous with the potential prospect of, say, Fox Sports walking away. I mean, we don't know what the future looks like with the broadcaster post this season coming up. It's been a very nervous time and an anxious time for all of us here in Australia who love football. Um, but how have you kind of observed the way that things have played out and, and how worried are you? I guess, about the future and the state of the game here? I would say frustrating. Um, these times from April, just the way everything has been handled, I'm not part of the political part. I'm not a politician. I kick the ball around. But all those things, it was kind of disappointing, the way everything was handled, and it just kept going around in circles. But I guess that's what politics is. 
and when you find out I only I always said I only find out a little bit of information because I don't want to get involved in it but the little information I've gathered I would throw it back and say have you guys answered these questions who the hell is at fault for this what regardless of the past what's the future you can't just keep revolving in circles and that's what it's been it's just been an absolute I can't swear but it's been a massive headache of just it, it, that's what it's been no one's to, to take blame no one's to fix the problems you're hearing all these people where this person was that person and they just go into hiding and it is quite frustrating for something that is a world game to pretty much be put in the back back pocket and just figure it out and it is quite frustrating with the people that have to make this league bigger than what it is then they're kind of using excuses and those excuses don't better us like i'll probably be retired by the time things do fall into place and hopefully the next tv rights do becomes much better than what was with Fox Sports. You know, I think what I've heard is very, very good for the future. But saying that, who's going to do it? And that's the main question that no one really wants to answer. And if it happens, I, you can see it's there to be done. That's that's the, that's the sad thing, that it's there. The product is there, which is a world game. And the fact that we are so far behind in this country, it is very disappointing. And with that, I'm not the man, not that educated compared to these people that have all the diplomas and all that crap. But at the end of the day, you need to have some passion in it as well and to understand that football is a passionate sport and the best sport in the world. So with that, hopefully the next theory right still moves in the right direction and for the future players to just, the facilities are there. The money is not an issue. It's just the way they spend and the way they, um, where they implement and where they put it. I think when they get that right, it'll be a fourth direction with them. will be, if not, the one of the biggest sports in Australia, but at the moment it is very far from it. Before I throw over to Stolich for his question, um, we've got a question coming through from Michael Ong, one of our top fans and our regular viewers here on the World Game Live. Great to have your company once again, Michael. Welcome back, my friend. He's uh, he's going out on a limb here, Danny. He says, going to ask this live on air, can you please give me your shirt in the next game? Oh, hey, on, Michael. He's always asking for my shirt, isn't he? But oh, he's a victory <laughs> fan. I can't do this one. I think I gave him my victory top when I was there back then. I'll, I know his son comes and asks for um, for autographs and all that. I'll, I'll, I'm not saying yes, but I'm not saying no. Oh, <laughs> all right. It could all be right. Maybe Michael. He's keeping it open. He's keeping it open. A few more questions um, for Danny before we say goodbye, Stolich. Yeah, Danny, I just wanted to ask, you know, it was such a frustrating time for the players in terms of you guys were put on JobKeeper, then off, then back on JobKeeper and all that stuff. How do you mentally deal with that? Because we see like a lot of players, you know, they move to India, they move to the Middle East or whatever. They wanted to get out of the A-League. Like a lot of players I was speaking to behind the scenes were saying, man, I just want to get out. This is just killing me. How did it feel for you and, and how did you kind of mentally deal with it and get through all these months of no financial security and, you know, not knowing what the future held? Um, we had a few meetings, obviously, with the PFA in that. And I think one thing one of the members in the PFA said, when someone would ask me about Australia, I would say out of everything, regardless of what, financially, you'll be certain. I think that, that's one part that Australia, I had been six years in Croatia, even in Romania, financially screwed over heaps of times. But I knew one thing was in Australia, I'm pretty sure that won't happen because it is a Western country. It is a very strong, rich country. And when that was a question of you're going to be thrown on JobKeeper, not just disappointment, I think anger and frustration was one of the key things that everyone was 
about it and you're like, well, all this, there's a million kids playing, two million kids playing, there's all these registration fees. Where is all that money going? And when you come and they go, well, if you don't sacrifice your wages, the Federation, well, this was one thing that was told, Federation being administration. And you just step back and you're like, how is that possible? And that's one thing that, like I said, it was so frustrating to hear. And on top to be just treated like crap, I think that there are a lot of players, like what you said, just wanted to leave. And I don't, I don't fault them. They would go for less than what they were earning in Australia just to get out of here. And that is sad to hear for a country that is supposed to be building this game to actually have players that wanted to leave. And that's why I'm saying I'm very hopeful that the next TV like or whatever, whoever takes control of what's happening, to put that into consideration that without the players, there is no league. So if the players are saying that, that that's sad. You have mm. to look at yourself and be like, come on. That, that's bad. It looks bad on us, let alone mm. the guys that, you know, they're trying to feed their kids or whatnot. Everyone had financial problems in this pandemic. It's, that's a given. But when you're in entertainment and so much money has been revolved around and you find out these sums of money and then you look at it and you're like, but I'm on JobKeeper. It's, mm. it's sad. So, you know, everyone dealt with it differently. We all came back because we love the game. But some players, obviously, it's hard. It's a, there were some players I read that went into retirement. They were just, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what kind of hurt. And but like I said, we're very hopeful. We're back to a new season and we're going to move forward. And that's what it's all about. And hopefully they do what they have to do and we'll make it as entertaining, entertaining as possible. Oh, Danny, I'm gutted that we have to say goodbye to you because that was really well said and we could have you on for the whole show. I have to squeeze in one more question from uh, one of our viewers who wrote in before the show. Uh, Jackie Morton, she wants to know, uh, who was your favourite player or your favourite football moment? Moment? Mm. In, ooh, that's a tricky question. Um. <laughs> Not this season. Well, I'm frozen. I just don't even know the answer to that question. Um, my favourite, I don't think I had one favourite. I think every game is enjoyable, um, regardless on what stage it is. For me personally, like as tired as I can be, as I can get, when I jump on that pitch, it's just freedom. It just gets you, keeps, football gets you out of this world. And that's what, for me, is probably the best thing. So my favourite moment, I'll probably, I'll be here all day. There's been too many of them so. Favorite player? But what about your favorite player? Um, right now, whenever. Oh, whenever for me it was Pele and Zidane. Mm. Hands down, you're either Pele or Maradona, and I had a cassette of Pele, so I remember him. And Zidane was just—he just made everything look so simple, and it frustrates me now because he still made it look so simple. <laughs> Daniel Georgievsky, bravo thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today I can't let you go without saying we wish you all the very best to you and your wife of course with this exciting news that you're both expecting a baby next year it's very exciting because it's been such a terrible 2020 for most of us and we hope that the next A-League season as well is something that gives us a, a lot of positivity and, and more to look forward to and we wish you Carl Robinson, the entire coaching staff and Western Sydney Wanderers all the very best, it would be great to see this brilliant club return to glory again. So thanks for making the time for us. I know it's your day off. We really appreciate it. Thank you, and we'll welcome you back soon again, my friend. Take care. Thank you very much. Good seeing you guys again.
Always good to catch up with the great Daniel Georgievsky. We've got to move swiftly, though, because we've got another legend waiting in the wings for us. This man, of course, has added so much uh, to the Australian game since he's returned here. He's been very exciting to watch in his time with Brisbane Raw. It's time to welcome the great Scott McDonald to the show. Scotty McDonald, welcome. How are you, my friend? You well? I'm very well. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, thanks for the uh, the intro. I don't know about legend, but... I'll take it. I'll take it, Lucy. Thank you very much. And as Whoa, you can see, you scored against AC Milan. I mean, <laughs> guaranteed legend. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll take it. It's all about the here and the now, guys, as always. So, again, looking forward to this uh, new season coming. And uh, we've been working really hard. So, uh, and it's getting super hot up here. So, uh, the the uh, the Scottish body is uh, trying to acclimatise once again. <laughs> Don't talk to me about hot. I live in northwest Sydney, all right? It was 41 degrees the other day here, and the closest beach to us is 50 minutes away, all right? So I know what it's like to be hot. But I tell you, it's beautiful weather, and it is getting quite humid now right across the country. Um, But you know where else it's getting hot? Over in Scotland. My goodness, this news for the first time in many, many years they've qualified for a major tournament. Scotty, tell us about how you reacted to that really special moment. Um, I was delighted for, for so many friends and, and for, for players, even ex-players that have, uh, you know, worked so hard and, and, and come ever so close. And one being, you know, Kenny Miller, obviously you spoke to Daniel just there and uh, Kenny Miller being part of the, the coaching staff at Western Sydney. He had some, some great times as, a, as an international, um, but just failed at that, that last hurdle. Thankfully, obviously now in the, the Euros, especially, there's more opportunities. There's now 24 teams that qualify and um, it's been, you know, 22 years since Scotland qualified for, for a tournament. I think it was uh, World Cup 98, uh, France 98, the last time they did. So uh, the place right now is just a, an absolute buzz and it's, it's fantastic for the game out there. And as we know as a nation, when you get to, you know, these, these big tournaments, when we get to the World Cup, obviously a lot of funding comes with that as well. Um, a lot more interest from governments as well so to help. The game and, and I think it's going to do Scottish football the world a good. Stolich, over to you. Some questions for Scott. Yeah, Scott, I wanted to ask how you think Scotland will go at the tournament because you know they're quite a good side. I think actually, like Andy mm. Robertson, Scott McTominay, John McGinn, quality players. And for years, obviously, they've struggled, but it's always kind of been a bit of a wonder because such a passionate fan base. You know, good coaches. Um, you know, good players as well, and a history of great players. So, how do you think they'll actually go at this tournament? And are we seeing Scottish football on the way up? Well, I certainly hope so. I think under Steve Clark, there's certainly a resilience uh, that's been built in within the squad. Uh, previous to that, when, when Steve Clark took over at Kilmarnock, you know, to finish third in, in the Premier League on a couple of occasions was a great achievement. And I think he's brought that into the, the, the way of playing into the Scotland team itself. They're very difficult to break down. Um, don't score a lot of goals, and that could be a problem in, in tournament play. Um, but they're certainly going to be very difficult to play against. But if you look at that group, guys, uh, you know, Croatia, England, Czech Republic, that's a, that's a, that's a tough, tough uh, group. So I think uh, more than anything, they'll certainly bring energy. They'll, they'll bring the party atmosphere. Um, the, the Scots just can't wait to get down to Wembley and play the English, the, the old foe. So that's going to be an amazing game uh, in the middle of June. I really look forward to it. Whether I'm still uh, hopefully going to be in the finals, I hope, in the early, but if I'm not, um, if everything opens up, I definitely will try to get over and watch that game. 
So talk to us about your time in the A-League then, Scotty, and how you've been enjoying um, the return to Australia. Um, we'll, we'll get into, because we've had some questions coming in about your, your brief time with Western United, but I want to get more mm. into your time with Brisbane Roar and what it's been like, um, you know, particularly under Warren Moon, how you're feeling things are shaping up for next season. It's been such a rough 2020, and every time we catch up with players, we seem to be saying the same thing, but we always feel for you guys the most um, because you were really put through the ringer. You know, it felt like you had what Daniel Georgievsky said to us earlier on in the show, multiple pre-seasons jam-packed in the one, a lot of waiting around, a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, but, but how are things looking from your perspective? Oh, look, it's been uh, up and down, as you said. Uh, it, but I think we've been very fortunate in terms of our football club itself. Uh, it's been very, very stable throughout. Uh, the communication has been very good throughout most of the period. I think, uh, I think as all footballers will tell you, uh, especially at the very beginning uh, when, when COVID struck, uh, the communication could have been a lot better w within the football club itself. And we sort of felt that the, the plug was pulled from us far too quickly at that moment, uh, especially with what was going to come ahead um, to get it back. And then to, to get this season up and running again, there was, there was always going to be more roller coasters to be had. So um, it's been tough. Uh, negotiations have been difficult at times, but thankfully now we're, we're past that point um and we're going to be getting back to what we all enjoy and that, and that's playing the game and as much as it's been up and down in terms of off the pitch i've really enjoyed it on it um it's been a great experience for me obviously we've played for two clubs in, in the one season uh experienced a lot and uh you know for me playing in the, the different types of games uh, the conditions um the game tactically is a little bit different here from from the uk as well so it's, it's been enjoyable from that fact and, and obviously playing with different players, meeting new players, uh, new personnel, coaches, working under Mark Rudan and then going to Robbie Fowler as well. And now I'm Warren Moon. Um, I'm really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, it's Warren's taken over and uh, pretty much picked up where, where Robbie left off. Um, and obviously now that we were in pre-season, he's really implementing his own ideas. We've been working really, really hard, like I said, and, I think everyone has at this point. Um, it's a lot shorter pre-season, which is fantastic. If you ask anybody, <laughs> pre-seasons for three and a half months, like last year, that was a real eye-opener for me in terms of the, the length of pre-season and how hard we were working at times. And you're sort of going, well, we've still got another eight weeks to go here. What, what's going on? So uh, the build-up's certainly a lot better because the, the, the period's a lot shorter. So... Um, for us foreigners, I still classify myself a little bit as a foreigner because I played there for that long. Um, it's nice to have a shorter preseason where we're getting in amongst the games a lot quicker. Um, obviously, disappointing FFA Cup can't happen this year. Um, but before we know it, the games will come round. And uh, yeah, just like I said, uh, I'm working under Warren and the new coach and stuff, implementing his own ideas. Uh, we're looking pretty good. Obviously, I think everyone's in the same boat at the moment. It's very difficult to recruit. Obviously, with the uh, the salary cap being uh, restricted a little bit more, and trying to get foreign players as well, it's just so difficult. Uh, one, trying to get visas, then trying to get flights, and then thereafter, you've done that. You still have to do a two week hotel quarantine. So you're talking almost five to six weeks before you actually bring the player in. So and you're trying to implement all your ideas now. So it's very very difficult for for coaches and managers to to try and, uh, you know, get these players across to, to strengthen your squad. We are getting flooded with questions, by the way, for you, Scotty McDonald. We're going to try and work our way through them while we've got you here for a short period of time. Um, but one from another one from Musi Alongo. How's Brisbane Raw's squad shaping up ahead of the A-League season? 
Yeah, we're looking okay. Um, the manager's still looking to strengthen. Like I said, I think every squad is trying to do so. But uh, we've got a great mix of you know youth with experience. We, we lost a couple of players uh, at the end of last season there, which was expected. I think everyone's done that. They, they've been weakened by this. Um, but it's a great chance for the younger players, younger talent, like we've seen at the end of last season through other football clubs as well, to, to go and show and implement themselves, you know, into the A-League as well. So there's going to be a great opportunity for, for younger players coming through this year. And, you know, it's up to them if they sink or swim. Um, but we're certainly confident we've got some really good young talent here that are, and, and Queensland talent at that as well. You know, the manager's really, you know, positive on that and wanting to bring through, you know, local talent especially. Um, and we're pretty confident that we've got some really good young players that are going to show up well in the, in the league to come this year. Mm. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, Scotty, I just wanted to know last year, Brisbane Royal, they did have some success on the field, but in terms of they were quite a defensive side. Will we see a more attacking side this season uh, with Warren Moon? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think we've got to remember, though, the year before that, you know, the, the amount of goals that Brisbane Royal conceded as a, as a club was probably one of the highest in the A-League ever. So, you mm -hmm. know, to go from that and you're telling me, well, you're very defensive, I, I think that's a, a, a very good difference. Um, and, and we've seen the success within that. So, you know, we're still, you know, obviously going to base, you know, a lot of our strengths within that and try and keep a, a solid base. I think you have to in any successful squad. You know, you've got to keep the back door shut. Um, but we certainly, you know, bringing in the likes of Joey Chapman, we're looking for a lot more off Dylan Wenzel Halls this year as well. Mm -hmm. We at the back end of last season, we, was doing some excellent things. So he's growing into being now more a full member of the, the, the first 11 and, and starting to believe that he belongs there, which is fantastic. Uh, and like I said, we, we've got other young players, Kai Truen, Jordan Courtney Perkins as well, who had a little taste of it last year. So, no, we're, we're very confident that we're going to be playing under Warren Moon, you know, like you said, possibly a little bit more uh, transitional game and uh, an attacking style. Um, but again, with what we built last year, those foundations, we certainly don't want to lose that, guys, you know, because that was, that was a big part of our success. Mm. Another question coming in from David Abadiah. Why did you retire in Scotland when you still had more to give? <laughs> I, well, uh, for me, it's quite quite clear. Um, I had done pretty much everything I'd wanted to do over there and I felt pretty much the the area of opportunity for me to, to go elsewhere was, was done with, you know, being at a certain age, that happens, um, and being in Scotland and my opportunity to come back to Australia was pretty much done. Um, there was a couple of opportunities a year, a couple of years before I retired to, to come back, but uh, I actually got knocked back by the, the, the club that I was at at that time. So um, I think from that, a lot of clubs lost belief that I actually wanted to come back and play in Australia. So I lost the opportunity. So when that was the case, I felt that there was no opportunity to come back. Uh, I thought, well, it's the right time to hang up the boots and uh, start doing other stuff. And I was really enjoying actually being on the other side of the camera. You know, where you guys are now and, and asking the questions to, to other people and, and watching games and still got the buzz off it because I was involved in the game, you know, from, you know, two or three times a week anyhow. Um, but I never lost my will to keep fit in that moment. And um, thankfully I did that. And then I got the opportunity to come back to, to Western United. They come calling and, um, you know, I took it with two hands. I was really excited to get, actually go back to where it all began for me in my home hometown back at Melbourne. And uh, I had a nice ring to it, you know, to, to finish my career, obviously where it started and have my family all around me to, you know, to finish it off in Melbourne. But football's a funny game, isn't it? So, uh, you know, I ended up moving again, even after I told the wife it was going to be the last time. So I'm not that very popular. 
Uh, uh, in saying that, uh, the weather's a lot more consistent than what it is in Melbourne. It was more like the UK in Melbourne than uh, certainly what it is here. This is the this is the real Australian dream for for the the expats. So, and my wife's from the UK, so um, I'm sure she's a lot happier with uh, seeing the sunshine every day up here. <laughs> and you've got kids too, so they'd be buzzing with all the adventures that they can get up to in the Absolutely. northern part of Australia. Um, I have to ask you. Touched on the stint with Western United there. Can you give us any insight into into what promoted you to to want to leave the club? Oh, look, I think for me uh, and the management there, it, it, there was a sticking point in in terms of whether or not we believed in each other and if I was going to get the opportunities that I wanted and you could see it probably going the other way. And so from that, when there was another opportunity to go elsewhere where I felt like I was going to be needed and wanted and to be one of the more integral parts of the, of the unit, then I think then my decision was made. And uh, like I said, you know, for the kids and for the family and living in the conditions that we have up here, it's an amazing place to live. So, um, you know, taking that all into consideration as well, albeit at the time that the, the wife and it wasn't overly chuffed, you know, moving, you know, for three, four months to Melbourne and then having to shift everything again. Um, but I think obviously that was pre-COVID, so we're, we were pretty blessed um, to move out of Melbourne just before lockdown, lockdown occurred. So um, it's, it's worked out pretty well for us, I guess. Mm. Um, some more questions coming in before I throw to Stolich for the final question for you. Um, you touched on the fact that, uh, you know, you've been involved in, you know, our side of things on the other side of the camera asking the questions. I think you're actually a really fantastic pundit and, I, and I'm not just blowing smoke oh, up yeah. your ass. No, I think you're really great. And I remember listening to you in commentary during the Champions League and saying what a great addition he is. But a lot of people are wanting to know. Um, A-League memes have written in and said, hey, Scotty, can you tell us a bit more about what happened with the Optus gig and the alleged breach from that hub? Um, well, that's a difficult one to get into without actually getting political. Um, mm. But as you can see, I wasn't punished. So therefore, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, and therefore, we we felt all protocol protocols were met, and they were. So um, there was a little bit of other things going on at that at that point, uh, whether it be between clubs or uh, other TV companies and whatever else. So uh, look, I got caught in the middle of it, and it was unfortunate. It was disappointing. I was very upset by it um, to be put out there and uh, somewhat not supported uh, by certain groups, but. Uh, we got by it, and uh, in the end, uh, I was cleared, and I was able to play because I hadn't breached any protocols. So it was simple as that. Um, maybe the communication could have been better on on a lot of levels between certain parties. Um, but you live and you learn. You know, it's it's new for everyone, isn't it? This whole situation. So um, you know, there's always going to be confusion in the midst of it. Um, but I was just thankful that we were able to sort it out, and I was able to to play the the games that were remaining uh, throughout the the, the occasion. Um, you know, the, the whole thing was a great opportunity for me to, to do the Champions League and I was so eager to do it uh, and I was thankful that I got the opportunity to do it as well. Hopefully there will be, be more in the, uh, in the coming, hopefully, months and, and years to come. No, you've been sensational. Like I said, really loved listening to you alongside Simon Hill. I think, you know, Simon's our best commentator in the country by far and to have you in that partnership I thought worked really, really well. So, you know what, no one knows what they're doing during COVID. For goodness sake, yeah. you think you're doing the right things, you're putting on your mask, you're being told you're not wearing it right or actually, no, you don't wear a mask anymore. Who cares, Scotty? Keep doing what you do because we're big fans <laughs> of your work. We think you're fantastic. Um, One last question from Munich Style before we say goodbye to him. 
Yeah, Scott, I just wanted to say as well, you know, we, we talk about seeing you in the media. One of the things kind of just as coronavirus was hitting that I love that you put out was a video on oh. social media <laughs> where you were going for a run and we can't actually show it because it had a certain language in there, but yeah. I thought it was the best, one of the best <laughs> things to come out of the A-League and coronavirus. Yes. But oh. I just wanted to ask, did you, was, was there any, what was the reaction from that? And, uh, you know, going forward, what, what do you see your future in? Is it in media? We know you've got your academy set up as well. Mm. I also think you're one of the, the smartest players that we've had in the A-League in terms of, you know, your positioning, all that. So is there something like maybe in coaching in that uh, that we'll see from you in the future? But, yeah, that yeah. video and your future plans. <laughs> Look, I think, I think that's one of the videos where that was brought up, obviously, throughout the breach or so-called breach as well that was double standard so uh came back to someone trying to come back and bite me in the backside with it but oh. it didn't really work um in the end but i think that was just a build-up of all the frustration at that point with the whole covid thing we we're all worried about what's going on the league had stopped as well and then people not abiding by the, the whole laws and regulations of what was going on so um yeah it's one of them where i probably cringe a little bit that i put it out there at the time no, it was the no. best it was the no. best but <laughs> getting back to obviously what you're talking about uh, look i'm pretty open with everything I, I like to try new things um but certainly uh, i have a passion for coaching as well like you mentioned there i have opened up my own academy now i'm doing my pro license right now with the, the scottish fa so um you know, I haven't closed any doors right now, uh, Nick. Uh, I'm just looking to, to see what's next. And uh, particularly, I'm, I'm still concentrating on what I'm doing there now, you know, and that's playing the game and, and, and still loving doing it. So until such a time that doesn't happen, um, then you'll see me in, in other sort of avenues. But um, as long as I can still keep up with the young boys and still showing them up a little bit, uh, I'll, be playing, <laughs> I'll be playing for a little while longer, mate. So um, here's hoping. Well, Good on you. We'd to love it. to see you. Absolutely. We've had some great comments coming in. Another one from Michael Long saying, keep scoring goals. Scotty Ivan Stragen agreed to the point I made about your punditry. Scotty's a great pundit, calm, level-headed, knowledgeable, educated, and above all else, no bias or agenda. I won't bother reading out the rest of it because, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, we, know we don't have to go down that path. We don't have to. I respect everybody in the game, and we respect you enormously, Scott McDonald. We really appreciate you making the time for us here today. It's always yeah, great I mean. to catch up with fabulous legends in the game and we believe that you are because you've still got so much more to offer beyond your time as a footballer so we wish you and the club all the very best for the next season we're looking so forward to talking about the football again because it's something that we've all desperately been missing yeah. here in the country so thank you mate thanks for your time thanks just one more thing new kit marketing manager baby put it on so <laughs> get behind it guys go the wrong Stuff. Good stuff. And for all the Brisbane fans tuning in, make sure you get out and support the club. Everybody needs it at this point. And a great-looking kit too. Big thanks to Scotty McDonald there. It's time to move on very swiftly once again. It's been a stacked show, Stolich. We've got so much to digress on and dissect before we wrap up. But let's please welcome our next legend. We've had a show full of legends, and I say that very honestly because this man is a fantastic contributor to not just the world game uh, here for us at SBS, but the world game in general from an Asian perspective. This is our first... First time actually meeting the great Johnny Durden face to face, right? Because all of you tuning in will know his name rings a bell because he is the one stop shop for all your things Asian football concerned. Um, Johnny, welcome to the show. It's first of all great to meet you face to face for the first time, but I'm so delighted to be catching up with you because you've been such a great contributor for us, but a whole host of other organizations. Um, and you're Asian football expert, really. Um, you are. Um, and for us here in Australia, it's a delight 
to have you because you've got so much to offer. But please tell us, how have you been and where are you coming to us from? Because there was some debate about where you are right now. <laughs> well, oh, thanks for the introduction. I've gone a little bit red, actually. And um, <laughs> yes, um, well, very nice to be here. Yes, I'm in Seoul, South Korea. It's almost lunchtime. Um, yeah, and it's fantastic to be here. Thanks for the kind words. And it's always been a pleasure to contribute to the World Game. It's a fantastic website. And uh, I think that the passion for football around the world is um, is great to be part of. It really is. Mm. Can you tell us how your love affair with Asian football started then, Johnny? Um, well, yeah, I was. I first went to India in the late 90s and then I found myself in South Korea just before the 2002 World Cup. And I'm... Um, just just before then, I met the woman who is now my wife, you see, and then that's how it kind of um, developed from there. So I never really went home. Um, and I stayed in Asia ever since. And, um, yeah, it's been a, you know, a long time. And who knows? Well, I came to Asia for a few months and ended up spending 20 years. And uh, sometimes that's where it goes. And after spending over 20 years there, I'm sure you've seen some, you know, some really exciting things, some things perhaps that you've never been able to report as a journalist. I've always believed the best stories are the ones that are in unpublished. Um, but tell us, what are some of the things and your memories that you've amassed over the last two decades plus? And what are some of your favourite and most memorable moments in, in covering Asian football? Well, even though I'm talking to um on Australian side. I mean, one of my favourite memories is the 2006 World Cup and the, the, the first game I went to was in Kaiserslautern and the uh, Japan-Australia game. I just arrived in Germany the day before and I, I was jet-lagged. Um, I was around five in the morning and walking around Frankfurt waiting to get the train to Kaiserslautern. And already there were fans there from Japan and Australia drinking these huge bottles of Beck's beer and all these different beers. And um, it was Monday morning and people were commuting into Frankfurt and arriving at 7 or 7.30 and the, the train station platforms were full of Japanese and Australian fans drinking. It was great. Then got to this beautiful day. Um, I kind of wanted Japan to win, to be honest, because that, you know, Australia just joined the Asian AFC and Japan had been there, of course. Um, we thought I had a really good team and a good chance to do well. Um, but just the whole occasion was fantastic, the drama of the game. And afterwards, I remember leaving the stadium after about an hour, hour and a half, and, you know, people were dancing on the streets and uh, make work down under was playing. And um, it was a great day, still jet-lagged, but, you know, very, very happy. And what that was seems to be what the World Cup was all about. You know, two sets of fans having a great time. Uh, one is probably but still happy, and then people dancing and drinking together, which was perfect. Mm. And of course, uh, Stolich, we this week were recognising the fact that it's been 15 years since Johnny Aloisi scored that penalty and we secured qualification after over three decades of a barren spell and appearing in World Cups. Um, really quite a memorable time for us uh, here in Australia and a lot of people wondering, you know, where were you when that moment happened? I was in my lounge room with my mum and dad sobbing endlessly because, you know, it was such a long time coming for us and such a powerful moment for everyone in Australian football. But where the bloody hell were you, Stolich? Were you there at the ground? or <laughs> No. Oh, I wish, I wish. We couldn't afford tickets to that game at the time. Mm. Uh, I was at my mate's place where I watched it there. My my old big Chilean family, they were all there. And, oh, yeah, it was such a special, special mm. night. And uh, hopefully, you know, I, I love that we kind of celebrate it every year. I think, that, I think it's great. I think we should celebrate our achievements, you know, whether it be the Matildas winning the Asian Cup in 2010, the, the Socceroos winning in 2015. All those anniversaries are good because – 
as this show knows, there's a lot of tough times in Australian football, so it's good to celebrate the good memories and remember why we love this game so much. But a uh, thing to look forward to is the Asian Champions League. It's obviously kicking off tonight. And, John, I just wanted to ask how you think the Aussie teams will go. You wrote an article this week on the World Game saying that actually this they have a real opportunity because of the struggles of the other teams. So what are, what are your thoughts around that? How, how do you think the Aussies can get out of the group? Well, yeah, I mean, I think more than any other competition, of, because, of course, you know, it started back in February and um, been no games for eight or nine months. Um, and most of now, the Chinese and the Japanese and South Korean teams arriving in Qatar off the back of um, a busy domestic schedule. And, uh, some teams like in China have been confined to hotels for months. And there was some kind of mixed feelings in some places about actually going to Qatar and playing. Um, this week, we've seen images of the Chinese players wearing hazmat suits in the airport traveling to Qatar. You do wonder if it's all worth it. And I think that's been the kind of some of the same kind of feeling among some of the players and officials. And I think after a long season, do they want to go to Qatar and again stuck in a hotel for a few more weeks and keep playing games? Um, so I think a lot of it does depend on how these teams feel mentally more than anything. Are they going to be? up for it, I mean, are they really, how determined they're going to be, of course, from the injuries and tiredness, but do they really want to be there, and now they are there, can they really motivate themselves and um, really give everything, so in some ways, what should what could happen, in theory, the early teams haven't played for a while, should be kind of chomping at the bit to get to get going, so this really does give them a chance against, you know, what will be some understrength teams in some workplaces, you know, coronavirus has robbed some teams of players, um, some of the best players in China have gone on international duty. Um, so, yeah, there's a real chance because nobody knows what kind of condition physically and especially mentally these other teams are going to be in. So if you can hit the ground running, then you've got, in the space of four weeks, you can win you know, the biggest title in Asian football. Mm. Even all of this unpredictable experience to, during the pandemic period, I mean, we've seen teams pull out um, under strength sides, potentially being fielded as well in the upcoming competition, John. But uh, could we see a new winner? Could we see a dark horse emerge in this? Definitely. Um, I think looking at the kind of the eastern side of the draw at the moment, I mean, it's because it's very difficult to to choose who would be the favourite. But, I mean, Yokohama with, of course, Ange in, in, in charge, they've won the first two games, which uh, I think gives them an advantage in that they really should get out of the group and then once you're out of the group, anything can happen. But they're, they're, again, they're arriving from, you know, brutal uh, domestic program in Japan where they've been playing you know, twice a week for the past few months. Um, so, yes, I mean, I think definitely, I mean, the, the normal powerhouses like Guangzhou in China and John Book in Korea, again, do have ambitions to win, but who knows what condition they're going to be in after playing, you know, often twice a week for the past few months and then flying halfway across the world. So it's been a tough year. Um, but I think, of course, I think it is time for an Australian team to, you know, really try and repeat the success of 2014 when Western, Western Sydney won um, in very dramatic fashion and memorable fashion. Um, and so it could happen. But, yeah, we've got to get a good, good start. But if, if they do, it really could go all the way. Mm. Um, a question coming through from Hassan Berton, one of our top fans here at the World Game Live. Great to have your company via Facebook. Hassan, thanks for your question. He wants to know, what does John think about Ange coaching in Japan? Um, well, obviously, he's done a fantastic job in Yokohama. Um, I think winning you know, in the title in the second season was a great achievement, especially the way he did it. 
and I think also you've seen a bit more this season in Japan, um, his influence spreading throughout other teams, um, other teams wanting the ball a lot more, being much more proactive. Uh, I think this season's been a bit mixed, but again, is a little bit of an unusual situation. I think, I think the most interesting thing will be what happens, what he does when when he leaves. I, mean, I think winning the Asian title this season is a possibility, and that will be a fantastic way maybe to even end his time in Japan and perhaps think about what he does next. But whatever happens, um, he's left a legacy in a foreign country, which is always a very, very difficult thing to do for a coach. So with that, not just the title, but the way he's changed um, how people think about football, I think it's perhaps underappreciated, I think, in, in many places in Australia, in Australia too, because I think people often don't realise how different it is to go to these places culturally and on and off the pitch. But certainly in terms of football in Japan, things operate completely differently at all levels of the club and even your, your own staff, officials, players, referees, everything. And to go on there and do what he's done, I think, is um, should be celebrated a lot more. I mean, we're not, I know we talk about him quite a lot, um, but I think we should also appreciate I mean, what a fantastic job he's done in quite, you know, in very difficult circumstances going overseas and changing things. I think it's almost unprecedented in Asian football, I think. And we've seen how tough it is for the likes of his former assistant, Pete Klamowski, uh, after he right. got stopped recently as well. So it's not an easy competition to right. succeed and to thrive in um, and, and to create longevity in. But we know what it can do for coaches like, say, for example, an Arsene Wenger, who had success in Japan before his move over to the UK. Uh, Stolich, a few more questions for John. Yeah, well, just before I ask a question, I just wanted to show everyone, John, you mentioned about uh, Shanghai going over. This is Aaron Moy. Uh, have a look at this. It honestly looks like it's about a, you know, going Breaking Bad or something. What is this? <laughs> well, I, think, um, I think certainly uh, it's difficult to appreciate you know, sometimes how how organised things are in, in, in some Asian countries in terms of coronavirus and mm. how seriously they take the, the precautions they take. I mean, um, you know, talked to some coaches who, at the start of the year in, in China, before the season started, I mean, play, the, the teams were on overseas training camps in the Middle East and Southeast Asia, and they couldn't go home for, you know, two or three months. And then when they got home, um, you know, they, they met at the airports and they do all the tests and then they take to special buses wearing hazmat suits and take it straight to, you know, the hotels and they don't leave the hotels for months and months. And um, and so the sacrifices they've made, I think, is, is uh, quite... Um, amazing, and now, as I mentioned before, I mean, four of those teams. I mean, if you're not in the Champions League, finally you can go home if you're in Chinese football. But these players can't go home yet. They've got another maybe four or five weeks in Qatar, um, and then quarantine when they get back to China. So, the, so you do wonder what effect that will have on Champions League too. I mean, these players who really will probably want to go home after you know a crazy year, spend proper time with their families, and and they can't because you know they're still playing Champions League football. I want to point to this question that we've had come through from Ivan Stragan, another one of our top viewers here on the World Game Live. Great to have your company for our show once again, Ivan, and thanks for your comment because um, it's going to springboard to my next question to John. He said, yes, we all want Australian football to succeed, but this notion some media are pushing of supporting fellow Oz teams in the ACL doesn't fly. That's like me wanting Olympia cost to do well in the UCL. Part of why I pointed to that, John, was because we all have this sense of optimism since – 
you know, the Wanderers achieved that incredible and some will say controversial feat by, you know, being crowned the kings of Asia. We all want to believe that we could potentially do it again. But can you add a dose of realism to this conversation and be honest from your perspective? Do you think we'll be able to achieve that again in the short to medium to even long term? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why not. I think obviously people talk about you know the salary cap and the disadvantage that Australian teams have right off the bats. Um, but I think the, often the important thing is to to get. You know, there's obviously good players in Australia, um, still producing decent players, and there's good players in Asia that can be found for reasonable money. Um, if you look back on some of the champions that we've had in the Champions League, you know, a lot of them have not been with, you know, expensive foreign players, even though that's the trend is going that way in recent years. Um, so it's difficult for Australian teams to to match the best. But, I mean, all it takes, you know, especially get out of the group stage, as, as we can see, and then, you know, the, the differences are not that huge. And um, I think in Australia, perhaps one of the, the, the healthy things is people have, it seems to me from the outside, is there is a debate, you know, about... How can we get better in Asia? And, and I think this debate isn't often doesn't take place very much outside in other Asian countries, um, where they just kind of take it for granted. So it's, it's very, I think, the healthy to have this debate in Australian football. What I see in the media about constantly, how can we improve? Where are we going? What are we doing? Um, and sometimes it seems a bit overwhelming. Someone like myself who sees this all the time, but I think it's it's, it's an overall good thing, and um, it doesn't always happen elsewhere in Asian football. And it's really good to see people having this desire to improve and having this conversation all the time. Stolich, final question from you, and I've got one more too before we say goodbye to John. Yeah, uh, well, I just also wanted to point out, this is also, I guess, kind of frustrating because I, I totally get what Yvonne's saying, but, you know, as an Australian football journalist, I do want all the Australian teams mm. to do well. And it's just frustrating the build-up that they've had because you're right that all the, the problems that other teams have had and some of our problems from our teams are quite, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, Lucy, but quite self-inflicted, you know, when it comes to players not getting paid and, you know, you look at someone like Sydney FC and I think there'd be a real chance to do some damage this time around. But, you know, they lost Adam LaFondra. He was such an important player for them. You know, they're not going to have as many chances as they previously, you know, as they would in the A-League and you're going to need someone who's an absolute killer to take those chances. That's Adam LaFondra. He's not there. Now it's on Trent Bahaja, much less experienced player. Hopefully he can step up. But just another frustration. Same with Perth Glory, another great opportunity for them to have a go. But, you know, we, we know that their players are extremely unhappy with their ownership. Melbourne Victory, another great chance for them. But they've been an absolute disaster uh, in the A-League season. And, you know, the higher, I think, the difference between the players that they had on match day two and they're going to have on match day three, I think there's like two players from the starting 11 that are left, you know. Uh, Lawrence Thomas is gone. James Donachie is gone. Um, uh, Naboo is gone. It, you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, Toivonen is gone. So it, it's just frustrating, I think, that I think this is a great opportunity for Australian teams. And I don't think we're going to take it probably because of our own issues. But, uh, John, I just wanted to ask as well uh, how you think um, Vissel Kobe will go. I'm uh, always kind of looking at them because of Andres Iniesta and they seem like a, a team and it's an interesting one to look at from an Australian perspective because they spend big on marquees and they they bring in Iniesta and, you know, to me that's the best thing ever. But they bring in even other players like uh, Lucas Podolski's there and Sergi Samper and some big, big names. But they don't seem to have much success in the J-League and I just wanted to know why that is do you think that maybe going after these big name marquees actually hurts you more than it helps you well i think often it depends on on, on, the, on the coaches and the overall structure that they have i mean 
just after this, I, Iniesta, um, I went to Corbet and I spent time there. Um, and I think some of it is a little bit of trying to run before you can walk. And Corbet always been at best, you know, a mid-table team in Japan. Um, and I think there was signing the players, maybe like Iniesta, without really having the vision of where the team was going to go. Um, but I think it's very interesting to see how they go in the Champions League because, as you mentioned, they haven't been that great in the J League this season. Um, so they haven't been challenging for the title, not part relegation battle, but of course, with the money they spent, they're obviously a very ambitious team, and they're you know a Japanese team who have expressed their desire to become you know, the biggest team and the best team in Asia. So maybe without those kind of crazy uh, demands at home, um, and with the ambition that they do have, they could be a team to watch in in the next few weeks because they should be a bit better placed than other teams because bit more focus in theory, um, uh, less demands at home. So they, it could be their time. But um, you know, they always said they want to finish in the top three in Japan, then win the J-League, and then the season after win the Champions League. We could maybe just run straight to the top of it and uh, win the Champions League. And it's happened before. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so that would be a good call, I think. I mean, the Wanderers did it, Vizilkovic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Final question from me, Johnny, um, and it's a bit sort of left of field and, and outside the scope of what we've been discussing, but I'd love to know from, from being deployed in Asia and, and, you know, after amassing so many years of experience there, Australia's involvement in the Australian Football Confederation, how is it viewed? Because from my perspective, I mean, certainly I, I don't know that Asia is certainly happy about us being a part of their confederation. It's certainly drawn some eyebrows when it occurred and it continues to kind of raise a few tense points here and there. But what's your understanding of how they view Australia as being a part of the confederation? I think it has improved a bit. Um, I think you're right. In the beginning, especially in the western side of Asia, there was a little bit of um, unhappiness about what happened, especially when the Socceroos started taking World Cup places, um, which I think uh, was hard to swallow for I mean, some of the West Asian big countries. Uh, and the thing is, in the past, you could go to AFC congresses and you know you, you would see the FFA officials not really. Um, mix or, or or maybe know how to play the game i think perhaps it's difficult in the beginning because you have um the, these kind of east asian west asian south asian games that have been going on for years and years um and so it's probably very difficult to start playing that at the same level um i i, I remember going to a congress a few years ago in, in west asia and um I, I, I saw the FFA, you know, uh, chief just introduce themselves to you know fellow delegates, just complaining about how tired he was after you know the the, the flight from um, from from Sydney and how it was three a.m. and it should be three a.m. in Sydney and he should be in bed, and it wasn't really quite you know the the, the right not not to strike. But I think you know with, with Jeff Johnson now, I think that's changing. Um, Australia's getting more involved, you know, not just AFC level, but. In, with different uh, Asian federations in, in, in different countries and get much more involved in those. Um, so I think Australia's got a lot to give. And I think slowly it's starting to happen. Um, there's a lot of respect for Australia, especially, you know, with, with the infrastructure and, and the know-how off the field and things like um, I'm just doing well in Japan. I think uh, people in most parts of Asia, especially the eastern part, want to you know, absorb what Australia can teach and you know, see Australia as, as a way to strengthen, you know, as a, as, a, as a real asset to Asian football because being something a little bit different, a different mindset on and off the pitch. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does take time. Asia's, you know, a complex place. And, you know, being kind of Tokyo, um, 
And there's no connection at all that Tokyo has with Tehran in terms of culture, in football culture or general culture. It's just one huge landmass that's kind of, Asia really is, um, in some ways, it's, it's defined as, it's not Europe, it's not Africa. It's just a, this geographic mass that, you know, often doesn't have that much in common with other ends. So it's very difficult politically to get part of. But I think um, it hasn't been handled as, always as good work. It could have been in the past, but I think now it's become more professional and I think the relationships are improving. It's been great to have you on the show. A real pleasure. Thank you very much. My pleasure for me too. I mean, in terms of us in Asia, I think the one thing that we do bring is, at least when we joined, was big names, you know. If you're if you're from Japan or China, you know, you want to play against people like Mark Waduka, Harry Kill, Tim Cahill, kind of the big international stars. We don't have those stars much at the moment. Hopefully we get them back there. But So we, we do bring some things to the table as well that they want. But, yeah, it is very frustrating with international football. We talked about all the good stories, you know, Macedonia qualifying, Scotland qualifying. That was great scene. Um, we've seen some amazing results. Spain spanking an awful, awful Germany. You know, Terrible. crazy stuff there. Um, Mares scored an amazing goal for Algeria. Uh, I always like watching the South American qualifiers. Shout out Jorge Lazo. Unfortunately, Chile <laughs> lost 2 1 to Venezuela this morning. He wasn't happy. But don't so talk we saw. To me about Croatia. Don't talk to me about Croatia, Portugal either, right? Everyone I don't know, knows I don't know what that keeper was doing. My baby daddy's got Portuguese in him. So this morning oh, was very tense. No. It was very tense and uncomfortable, especially when my keeper decided to have an absolute nightmare. But anyway, I don't want to no. go down that far. But anyway, why do, we, why do we always draw England in major tournaments? Are there any Croats shooting in here? What the bloody hell is going on? It seems as though we're always destined to go up against each other in major tournaments. You always beat them as well, so don't worry about it. <laughs> um, anyway, so listen, it, it's been like that, but it is super frustrating to see all these players uh, getting injured and, and you know, picking up coronavirus and Salah has coronavirus, Luis Suarez has coronavirus now. Um, yeah, players getting injuries and it, there is just too much football. They can't be playing this much. They can't be traveling this much and, it, and it's diluting the quality of the competition. And, yes, it allows young players to come through, but... I don't know. I, I want to watch the best players playing. That's why I, exactly. I watch these big European football games because I want to see the absolute top, top, top quality. And uh, we're not seeing it at the moment. Mm, all right. Well, speaking of top quality, it's time to sort of wrap up what has been an epic show. Um, outstanding from all of our guests that have joined us. Big thanks to Johnny Durden there, our Asian football expert and contributor to the world game. Uh, has been doing so for many years now and is a fabulous asset to the team and your one-stop shop for all info concerned when it, sorry, when it does concern Asian football. Um, and great to see, speaking of Asian football, that we do have some football coming back to our mm. screens. Um, the Asian Champions League kicking off tonight. Uh, I do believe that uh, Perth will be in action uh, against Shanghai. That's going to be very exciting, Shanghai Shenhua, because we'll get to mm. see Aaron Moy as well. No, he's so Shanghai SIPG. Oh, sorry, it's IPG. Sorry, he's playing he's against Sydney FC tomorrow. Why are you playing against Sydney FC? Excuse me, I got my dates. Me, um, I got my dates. My team's mixed up. But Perth yeah. Glory, of course, it's been a really tumultuous period for them. But they, of course, are in action. They've they've gotten over there. That seems to be the most positive thing because we've had people saying to us that it shouldn't be going ahead because of the coronavirus. That it's going to cost them an arm and a leg to to quarantine back here, which is already 
still a concern as it stands and building up to the A-League season starting on December 27th. So there's a hell of a lot going on, but we do have some football returning to our screen. So Perth Glory taking on Shanghai Shenhua tonight at 9pm and then Sydney FC uh, are taking on Shanghai SIPG. We'll get to see Aaron Moy in action also 9pm Eastern Daylight Time. I want to wrap up the show on bad news. Good news, though, Stolich, and we're going to start with you. What is your bad news? Well, my bad news is all the players uh, getting injured this time. You know, as a Barca fan, I was actually really looking forward to seeing Luis Suarez play against Barca um, this weekend with Atletico Madrid. It's not going to happen. You know, Salah's in my fantasy team in the Premier League. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I'm just sick of that. But the good news is uh, I'm really excited about MacArthur signing uh, Ben Yat. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a top-quality player. Uh, I'm going to have more on that uh, in the coming days. But great player for Bilbao, Betis. Uh, I think he's coming quite young. If you think about Diego Castro came, I think, at like 35 and basically has just towered the league up for three seasons. Uh, you know, Ben Yat is even younger and actually probably even more a high-quality player. So hopefully he can be for MacArthur, what Diego Castro has been for Perth, because I've loved watching Diego Castro play all these years. And, uh, yeah, great signing. I think it's just unfortunate they announced it at 5 p.m. on a Friday when absolutely no one was listening. But, anyway, that's all right. That's all right. We'll see him soon, and he'll be out here. And um, the one thing I do feel a little bit sorry for, I was talking to my Spanish mates uh, about him, and they go, you know what's happened? He's promised his wife, yeah, baby, we'll move to Sydney, you know, the harbour, Bondi Beach, everything, and now he's going to have to drive two and a half hours out to MacArthur every day. Like, he's, he's not the same. You're not promising the same life. <laughs> yeah, the missus is going to get a rude shock when she trots out that way. No judgment, though. I mean, I'm from Northwest Sydney and we love it out here in the suburbs, but it's going to be a different climate and a different beast mm. altogether. Um, for me, my bad news is Germany. What the hell is going on with Germany? Got absolutely thrashed by Spain this morning. And I think we started to see the formation of their existing capitulation occur at the 2018 World Cup. Um, Joachim Löw, I think, has been very defensive about the way that things are going there. But um, for a long time now, the German public have been crying out for something different. And they have been saying that, you know, perhaps his time now is starting to wear thin with the squad. But speaking of the squad, I think that this is a Germany team that's going through their transition period. A lot of their greats um, have retired. Are uh, looking to retire, and I mean their backline as well. Who have they got? Who have they got at the back there? That's someone to be excited by. That's you know that's going to add surety and um, and you know experience. I think it's a very torrid time for the German national team. But I've always said football is cyclical. We've experienced it all time and time again, and nobody knows that better than us here in Australia. But um, that's my bad news. Not a good look for Germany. My good news, however, is how about this? A bit of Hollywood being injected over at Wrexham. So now we've got. Hollywood stars Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKennelly as an exciting duo now looking to invest in the club. Um, you know, there were overwhelming results as well. It was really um, quite fascinating to see over 98.6% of supporters, um, the trust members who responded back to Reynolds and McKennelly's bid after the pair made an online presentation to fans. So the takeover will lead to around about £2 million being invested into the club. And Reynolds, with the fellow actor Rob McKennelly, had told trust members how they wanted to turn Wrexham into a global force. So (laughs) stay tuned, everybody, for that one. But it's nice to see a bit of Hollywood being injected into football and for them taking an interest in it. They've, you know, according to a report, said that they're willing to learn. They're looking to get very heavily involved and to take the lead from, you know, a lot of the experienced heads at the football club too. So it'll be great to see what they can do with Wrexham Stolich. 
Yeah, I, I think it's uh, really cool. I mean, I don't know what they'll be like as owners, but listen, owners, there are plenty of crap owners all over the world and even here in Australia. So, you know, if you get some crap owners and they're at least a bit funny like uh, Ryan Reynolds is, then at least that's <laughs> someone. But hopefully it does work out for them. Uh, hopefully it does work out. Solich, it's been an absolutely massive show. For those of you that may have missed any of our previous guests, Scotty McDonald from Brisbane or Daniel Drogevsky, the legendary guys, um, great to have their time here today. But um, you can catch this one later uh, on demand. It's been a massive show, Solich. Thank you so much to you. Plenty, of course, coming up over the next week. I'm um, looking forward to the Asian Champions League action. Mm. A lot of stories, of course, that we have discussed. Make sure that you head to the World Game website. That is your one-stop shop for video content, news, opinion pieces, uh, whatever you're looking for we've certainly got it but in the meantime on behalf of myself soldier and the entire team at the world game it's goodbye for now we'll be back again from next wednesday 1 p.m australian eastern daylight time we love having your company keep your questions and your comments coming through and we look forward to engaging with you next week ciao for now guys take care